And I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. I enjoyed the evangelist last week, didn't you? He made a statement that I wish I'd have known, or wish I'd have thought of all these years. At the introduction of his message last Sunday, Brother Lynn said this. He said, if Satan's talking to you, he's lying. <laughs> he doesn't tell us the truth. He's lying. And I just want to make that as a statement today. This morning, I want to, I want to talk about something I would think is very rudimentary. And ladies and gentlemen, with so much media and so much vying for our attention, our viewing, our consideration, when we see what we see in our world, I think it's extremely important that the people of God be anchored in something that is absolute, steadfast for eternity. How many of you know we better be anchored to that? And so it might not be so dynamic or maybe funny this morning, and that's all has its place. I want to talk to you about something that is extremely at the anchor, the, the very foundation of what we know and what we believe. And especially to the younger people who don't know this is a doctrinal thing, but it's also a historical fact, and thank God it's an eternal fact. I want us to get this solidly in all these young minds, and I mean young mind from 99 and below. I just want to get this in our hearts and our minds. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what will keep you is the Word of the Lord. Amen. The Word of the Lord. Will you join me in First Peter chapter 2? It's speaking of Christ. Listen to what it says. Don't just let the words pass by. Let these words find the place in your life. Whether you're on a middle school campus, a high school campus, a college campus, on the job, wherever you are, listen to something about Christ that needs to be part of our life. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Don't miss that prepositional phrase, on the tree. Also his own body. He did that, that we... Having died to sins, that's important to know, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For, verse 25, you were like sheep going astray, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Praise God for the Spirit of the Lord that guards our souls. Father, let your anointing come, I pray, in this room. Father, let us know the riches and the depths, God, of your word today as we look at what you've done for us. I pray that the Spirit of God would give us this wisdom. But Lord, may it be something so solid that the winds and the waves of this hour may not shake us. Lord, may we be founded on this principle of our God, I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This epistle is of St. Peter. Peter, of course, writing to the New Testament church. So understand, he writes to servants, he called them. But in his day, servants were pretty much slaves. And so he encourages them with this concept that they are involved in many things that are uncomfortable and all the, the, all that came against the New Testament church in that day. He encourages these to be faithful to their task. 
I want to tell you, God will bless us to finish our tasks. He encourages them to be good examples even if they are in unpleasant conditions. Not everything. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have it pretty good today compared to some of the world. Don't we? We have it very good. He reminds them that Christ was our example. He also goes on in this epistle to say, not only is Christ our example, He is our only example. And He speaks of Christ and His relationship, watch this, toward circumstance in this world. And Peter reminds us that Christ was in this world. He was on this cross. He was being crucified, beaten and bludgeoned, yet he had the power omnipotence. He could have destroyed not only those who were crucifying him, he could have destroyed not only the earth, but he could have destroyed everything that exists. And yet for your sake and my sake, His relationship and how he dealt with circumstance was not about himself. But ladies and gentlemen, while he was being beaten and bruised and crowned and his beard plucked and drinking vinegar when he thirsted and on and on, iron driven in his hands and his feet and his side, he did not let circumstance stop what he was doing. He had you and me on his mind. And he finished the task. He goes on to say, I want to encourage you in your relationships in marriage. And he said, I want to encourage your relationships with Christian fellowship. And he expresses the work of our Lord as he accomplished all these things on the cross. Peter reminds them that under great suffering of Christ for us, our Savior once for all paved the way for you and Uh, you and I, to know Him and power in this world and eternity all because of the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, because of that cross and His shed blood, not only are we saved today, but we are eternally living in a promise that is absolute. Get that solidly in your mind. Those of us who are truly born again, we know and we know by experience there is no place For comfort like the cross. You were supposed to say amen. Tell me when life comes at a difficult time. Tell me when Satan comes in and tries to tear us apart. Tell me you don't go to the security and the absolute truth of the cross. Because the cross is a tree. Stripped of foliage and it's dead. Yet we sit under its shadow with great delight. Knowing That even in its deadness, out of its deadness came our life because God sacrificed His Son that died that you and I might be alive. One of the great gospel truths is this. By the heavy, unimaginable sufferings of our Lord Jesus, our suffering is made light. Ladies and gentlemen, we have some tough days But we were not nailed to a tree. We were not bludgeoned and beaten to death. Our sufferings in that consideration is light. But let me say as we pass through the tribulations of this life, may we be steadfast beside the cross. For if we lose the cross, and if we miss the substitutionary sacrifice that our God paid for us, we have lost 
everything. We've lost it all. If he did not die in our stead as a substitute for us, we have nothing to believe. Nothing. Thank God. I want to take these two verses and I just want to look at three things that I think are important for us to know. The first one I want to talk about is this bearing of our sins by our Lord. Verse 24 said, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. These words Peter used in the plainest terms to assert that our Lord did genuinely, really bear the sins of his people. And I want you to notice how literal the language is that Peter uses when he says it. I will declare to you words mean nothing if substitution is not stated here about my Savior and my sins. It is emphatic. I do not know the meaning either of the New Testament tucked away in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, if if complete substitution is not the meaning of Peter in this verse. I want us to hear the old prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 700 plus years before the Christ was on the cross. He said these words through the power of the Spirit. The Lord has laid on Him, meaning Christ, the iniquity, the wickedness in the hearts of all of us. Isaiah said, for the transgression of my people... He is stricken. He goes on to say, He will bear our darkness of heart or our iniquities. He goes on to say, He was numbered with the transgressors and He bore the sin of many. Ladies and gentlemen, seven plus centuries before, the Holy Spirit told us about what would happen so that you and I would know an eternal salvation and Satan not be able to rob us of it. Because here it was in the Old Testament, seven and a half centuries, and then it absolutely unfolded in, in history right in front of humanity. I would just want to say, no way would the Holy Spirit have used such language if He had not intended to teach us that our Savior bore our sins and suffered in our stead. Get that in you as deeply as you can. God killed His own Son so that you and I could live. Let's hear it in the New Testament. Let's hear it in the New Testament. Hebrews 9, 28 says this. So Christ offered once to bear the sins of many. If you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he made him, watch this, who knew no sin. That isn't just one man dying for somebody else. This is the God-man who knew no sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Remember in the garden when he had to drink the cups of dregs? He, Father, if there's any way, take this cup. Nevertheless, your will. God said he was without sin. He put your sin and my sin on him. And he goes on to say that we might become the righteousness of God in his son. Ladies and gentlemen, that is nothing short of of miraculous. 
And in Galatians 3.13, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. I want to just try to make this personal. You take your child, male or female, that has... that. That you love dearly above all things. And looking at the fact that I have committed crime. And I deserve death. And you crucify your son or daughter for me. Ladies and gentlemen I want to tell you something. It cost God very little to speak all creation into being. But when it came time to pay for your sin and mine. It cost him the most precious thing he had. He crucified his own son. And here Paul writes of it. He said, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When they hung him on a tree, the curse of my sin and your sin was placed upon him. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He says, Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice of himself. A sweet-smelling aroma. Finally, in Hebrews 9, But now, once at the end of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Saints, ladies and gentlemen, young people, these words teach the bearing of our sin by our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, or they teach nothing. This is not religion. This is not religiosity, it's not philosophy, it's not men's thinking, it's absolutely the plan of God that we know absolutely transpired on planet earth in deliberate terms. This is God reaching for his people. So I want to say in our day, among many errors and denials... We in America decided the book is archaic. We're going to push it to the extremities. And whether you like to admit it or not, you and I that absolutely believe that this book is inerrant and infallible and it is the eternal word of God, that it will never pass away. We are being ridiculed and we are considering the eccentrics and they're trying to push us out of society because they want no responsibility beyond themselves. And so it's important that we know the Word of God. So let me say in our day, when everything is questioned, when everything is questioned, let there be no question, let there be no doubt, I'm going to give you scripture, as in Adam, I fell in sin. So in Jesus, I was raised in righteousness. The first Adam came and he failed. But the second Adam, sent by God, his son, he was crucified on my behalf. And old Isaiah again saw it. He said this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He not only purchased my life, but he takes my grief and he takes my sorrow and he makes it complete. And I want to declare to you, this is not a myth. This is a fact. A fact 
wonderfully documented. He was on Calvary's cross. He was placed in that tomb. He did rise from the dead. And I want you to know, nothing is more proven on planet earth than that. And as a matter of fact, it's a fact. And I was going to say because of it, now, now, today, my sins are gone, gone, gone. You say, Pastor, how can that be? I have three things I want to say about it quickly. So let me just say one. This sin bearing of our Christ for us was personal. We do, we do not have a God some 90 or 190 million miles away or 500 million miles away that's not concerned about us. Ladies and gentlemen, He sent His Spirit to live in each one of us, to woo us and draw us to a knowledge of Christ. And then when we come, He indwells us and inhabits us. And He speaks through this Word and He speaks through His Spirit. More about that in a minute. But I want you to know this sin bearing for Christ was personal. The Scripture said His own self, His own body, and bear our sins. Let me put it in my terms, not to take away from the Word, but so it hits us, I pray, with the weightiness of it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you and I committed a crime and we were looking for maybe total imprisonment for life or we were looking at the death sentence and we had a court appearance, let me put it like this. Jesus appeared in court for you. Jesus appeared at the place of the execution that you and I deserved. Satan would have us crucified, executed, but God would have us to live. He personally, for me personally, it was personal. Second of all, the sin bearing in its effect was continual. Continual. Once for all, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And here's the good news, ladies and gentlemen. The call throughout the centuries is this. Whosoever will, let him come. Continual, continual, let him, her come. The Spirit and the Bride say come. Yes, the sin-bearing effect of Christ was personal and it's continual because... He said, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many of you are glad for the word? It's so precious. Thirdly, the sin bearing is final. Not only personal, not only continual, but it is final. He bore our sins, the text said, in his own body. But I want to declare to you this. He bears them no more. So I want everybody to hear me this morning. When it said he bears them no more. As far, he says this, has, as far as he removed our transgressions from us. He has cast all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Never to be remembered against us again. He has hurled them behind our back so that they will never again be seen. So let me talk to us in a real modern day way this morning. There is an enemy that will tell you all of your life 
every mistake you've ever made, every time you have come short of the glory of God, every time you have ever done anything that was unchristlike, the time you said something you wish you hadn't said, the time you'd gone a place which you wish you hadn't gone, the time where you say, I'm going to live for God and you fail so many times and Satan will say, see, you're nothing. See, you're not saved. See and go on and he will literally wear you out mentally, emotionally and spiritually if you let him. But hear the truth of this sin bearing today. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. So I want you to take the enemy back to the bloodline when it came to your life. Whatever day it was, when you prayed the prayer and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. God washed those sins away. He declared you righteous in the high court of heaven. And He put all those sins in your past behind you. Stop letting Satan go fish in the sea of forgetfulness and bringing them back to you. Take him to the bloodline and say, here's what I made it straight. I will not listen to you for I'm redeemed. My name's recorded. And I love to say this. Satan can't get in the office of heaven at the night time and get past the alarms and take your name off the page. Satan doesn't even know the book of life where it is. Let me tell you, one of these days, read the revelation. God's going to stand. He's going to open it. And he's going to read, believe it or not, David Brooks. And I'm not talking about the newscaster on public television. I'm better looking than he is anyway. (laughs) Hey, this is on Facebook. Maybe I'll get a letter from him. (laughs) Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, young people. Don't let the enemy constantly try to... I'm going to use a word. I shouldn't use it. I know it, but you just have to know the Greek like I know it. Don't let him nag at you. (laughs) Don't let him try to mentally keep you limited. Don't let him tell you that you can't, that you can't, that you can't. Listen, you and God are a majority. And having come to repentance, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things become new. He guides your steps. Mom and dad, help teach your children. God is in charge of this house. (laughs) It's final. Nothing remains to be done for the sinner to be totally clean. Washed. Read it. Go all the way to the book of Revelation. There's a three-point message there. I preached it years ago. He loved us, He washed us, and He made us. Aren't you glad that, first of all, He didn't say He washed us and cleaned us up, and then He loved us? It said, He loved us, He washed us, and then He made us. I don't know about you, but it's pretty good news to me because I remember that before I came to Christ, I wasn't a Christian, and I did a lot of things wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad He washed me, but He loved me first. Amen? He loved me enough to wash me, and He loved me enough to die for me. That is true salvation. As far as the east is from the west, he declares, as far he has removed our transgressions from us, he has cast all our iniquities in the depths of the sea, hurled them behind us, as I said. Saints, I want to tell you something. 
I know a lot of people say, you just get too emotional about it. Let me tell you, it's not emotional. Let me tell you what it is. It's truth that sits deep in my soul. I just want to declare to you, we are too calm. We are too cool. We are too refined about this thing called sin-bearing. We are too controlled about the greatest marvel of the universe that I headed to a devil's hell full of blackness and darkness and sin and I'm lost and I'm headed for an eternity, eternity in the lake of fire and I repent because this man, God's son, has paid my price and I do a 180 about face where I was going to hell. I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. Lord, I realize you bore my sin. Will you forgive me? Cleanse me? And he picks me up and I'm going to heaven. I'm going I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. <laughs> Don't let Satan rob you of it. Boy, I know this is doctrinal. I know it's so fundamental. And you say, oh, Pastor, I've known this all my life. Let me just tell you about this sin bearing. It is the miracle of the earth. It is the mystery of heaven. And it, thank God it is the terror of hell. Watch this though, if we could really realize that the guilt of sin is gone, that the punishment due has been paid, that the literal substitution of Christ has covered it all, I believe God's people, regardless of the denomination, would be filled with intense enthusiasm and gratitude and love and praise and worship and wouldn't have to be coached to do so because this is final. It's finished, ladies and gentlemen. My eternity is secure. It's secure. Second point, and I promise you they're shorter, okay? Number two is this, the change in our condition. The change in our condition. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. The change, what is the change? What is the change? When you accept Christ and you do that, what is the change? Here it is. It is a dying and it is a reviving. It is a burial and it is a resurrection. First of all, we are legally, hear me, young people, you need to know this. We are legally dead to the punishment of sin. Christ paid the price for your sin. Don't you let somebody tell you that storms and all those things come to your life because God's punishing you for sin. God punished His Son for your sin and we are no longer under the dominion of that sin. He took our punishment. So don't let Satan lie to you and say, well, all this tragedy's come because of what I've done, what I've done. Listen, if you come to Christ, His blood covers it all. You say, yeah, but Pastor, what about all this trouble? Listen, we're on a sin-cursed planet. And we're going to go through some struggles. But don't let Satan lie to you and say God's punishing you. God punished his son. Well, that ought to be enough news to put us on our feet. 
Aren't you glad you're not due for the punishment anymore? Listen, he doesn't put us on parole. We don't have a parole officer. I don't have to go through a halfway house. I, I, I don't have to be put on a, some kind of a program to reestablish me in society. Are you kidding me? He's declared in the high court of heaven. Pastor Brooks is a saved, born again child of the living God. God's not going to punish me. That's first of all. Second of all, the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Young people... Please catch this. Mom and dad, if Satan makes you struggle. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has made my heart dead to sin. Pastor, what are you talking about? I may fail, but I don't love it. My sins no longer have dominion over me. Here's the truth. Sin is no longer at home in my heart. I want to declare to you, because I've repented the blood of Christ, God has given me a heart transplant. God's done surgery on me. And He took an old wicked heart and He made it new. Pastor, are you perfect? Far from it and you already know it if you've known me two minutes. Do you make a mistake? Yes, but not willingly. Have you heard Him? Yes, but not willingly. Have, have you made mistakes? Yes, but not willingly. Because when I do, I'm smitten. I no longer love those sins. I no longer want them to control me. I don't want sin at home in my heart. God has given me a new heart. But first of all, this condition, I'm not being punished for my sin. Second of all, my heart is dead to sin. And thirdly, we've been brought from death into life. Here's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit has placed within us a quickening. There is a spirit in us. There is a sensitivity and there is a desire that we might walk toward holiness and we want to be right and we want to please and we want to have fellowship with the God of all creation. You know what I want to do? I don't know how my mom and dad put it in my life. Out in the country sticks, out in the, on an old road, an old salvage yard. But I can tell you this, I wanted to please my mom and dad. I didn't want to do anything to hurt them because they loved me and I loved them. And let me tell you, my big dad would take a belt to your backside in a heartbeat. But I want to tell you something. Once that punishment was there, he would come to me and we would talk about that. And God would, get, my dad would say, you're a good son. I must teach you right and wrong. I must teach you responsibility. And I never wanted to bring shame to his name. Let me tell you, when God killed his son for me, at least I can do. Pay attention. Are you kidding me? Pay a tenth? He gave it all for me. I can pay a tenth and more. I inserted that and that probably went over like a pork chop in the synagogue, but it's true. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I want to please my heavenly Father. His Spirit placed His Spirit in me. I have spirit life in me. No longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Amen? Amen. And lastly, we are healed of our diseases. I'm going to finish with this. By His stripes, you were healed. 
The disease is spiritual and physical. It's one thing, ladies and gentlemen, to forgive, to substitute punishment, but it's another thing to cure the disease. And I want to say again, he has changed my nature. I was writing this out Friday, about one or two or so. And when I got to this point, he has changed my nature. I realize how Satan's always trying to get me to go back. He's always trying to make me think that this isn't so and you fail too many times and you just keep failing in the same places and on and on the battle that's in your mind and your soul and your spirit. When I realized that God gave me a new nature and here's that nature. Yes, I make mistakes. Yes, I come short of the glory of God. But there's one big difference. I do not love it. My nature's different. I want to go to my Father and I want to say, Lord, I am sorry. This is not what I intended. I've been healed of a heart that craves sin. I have eternal life because, listen, This is not, however, just because of the teachings of Christ, though they benefit us. And it's not just because of the example of Christ, though we're to copy and emulate that. But we owe it all to one thing, His stripes. It's all because of His stripes. His blood, I am washed, but I'm also delivered from the guilt. And by the power of His blood, I today overcome sin. Did you hear me? I overcome sin. And then in his last supper, he said to the disciples, Remember me. Remember me. I think every time the enemy comes into us, we ought to hear the words, Remember me. Remember me. I'd love the Spirit of the Lord every time Satan comes to my mind for the Spirit of the Lord to walk up beside me and say, Pastor, remember me. Because I paid for this. I've given you grace for this. I've given mercy for this. Let me thank God for His grace. Let me thank God for His mercy. How many of you are glad the Spirit of God speaks in you? And let me just, this is not in my message, but you read over in Genesis when Cain slew Abel. And you read then in the Hebrew writing in the New Testament, he reaches all the way back to the first murder, the sin, the darkness of taking life that wasn't his to take. And the Hebrew writer through the Spirit of God says this. It said, listen to me. The blood of Abel cries to me from the earth. Did you know that blood has a voice? Watch this majestic Son of God who is exalted at the Father's right hand. And through the Spirit, He speaks to us today through this Word. And He says, the blood of Abel cries for me from the ground. Do you know what the voice of the blood of Abel cried? It cried vengeance. It cried vengeance. 
But this sovereign Son of God stands in His holiness. And He says, But the blood of Christ cries forth better things. It cries forth mercy. And every time I sin, Satan would love for me to hear the voice of the blood that says, Vengeance! But the blood of my Christ says, Mercy. No wonder he said, remember me, remember me. You take the power and the authority of a sin bearer and you stay above the sin this enemy wants to use to destroy us. No wonder, ladies and gentlemen, he said we have victory in Jesus. That's more than a song. Amen.